You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Let Asha, your Legal Shield associate, connect you to a legal insurance plan that's right for you. Quality attorneys at established law firms for about $20 a month. Well, I can afford that. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed, personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to, Think positively and all your problems will go away. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and host of this show called The Overwhelmed Brain. This is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. Everything I talk about on this show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Well, I'm getting good at reading that fast. <laughs> always, cons- always consult a physician. Of course, I screw it up. <laughs> always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. What you'll find here is an increase in your emotional intelligence, a strengthening of your self-worth and self-esteem, the motivation to be your authentic self, and the forward momentum to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, today's first topic is about cringing at what I say. (laughs) Let me explain. So I was out with a few friends uh, this last Sunday, I think, and we all went to lunch. And um, one of the women there uh, said that, uh, hey, I I got your book and I I read it about halfway through and I haven't uh, finished it. I was like, wait, you have my book? And you know, that surprised me. I don't think she ever told me she bought my book. So it was funny to hear that she bought the book and she read it. And she goes, yeah, I went out. Uh, I think she said that she was camping or something. And I, I read about halfway through and then I had to put it down and I haven't picked it up since. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, great. Thanks for buying it. Thanks for reading it. That's cool. I hope it was valuable to you. Now I'm not one of these guys that go, okay, what'd you think? <laughs> what part did you like best? What was the worst? I just let it go. I don't, I don't really get into that, trying to figure out what people thought. And uh, I'm not really stuck on that. I just created it because I know it would help uh, a certain segment of the population. So it is what it is. It's already out there. There's nothing I can do to change it. However, feedback is always welcome. And later on in the conversation, she said, hey, can I offer you feedback on your book? And I'm like, oh, great, sure. I would love feedback, certainly. What do you have? And she goes, well, I'm reading through it. And every now and then I cringe. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> what is she cringing at? Is it bad advice or what is it? And she goes, um, you know, I know you well enough. So when I read a story about you in your personal life, I sometimes cringe because I feel like that information is private and I feel like I'm getting a glimpse into your private life. So I feel like I'm doing something wrong. 
And I was like, really? That's that's fascinating. Um, so we talked about it for a little bit. And uh, I wanted to dig into this uh, and figure out, you know, exactly what made her cringe. Because in my personal life with friends like her and others, I'll share exactly what I share on this show, in the book. I'll share all of this stuff. I have no problem just talking about the things that have happened in my life. And yes, some of it's very deep. Some of it is maybe difficult in the sense that uh, some people are maybe surprised about some of the stuff I'll share and surprised that some of the stuff I'll talk about. Like, oh my God, you're talking about some a time you cried? Like you fell on your knees and cried and then you proclaimed hatred for your stepfather? You talk about this stuff? And uh, so that's just the person I am. And that's the person I've been for the last several years. Well, actually more than that. I've been that kind of person for a long time. It's just that when I talked about it before, uh, I, I didn't feel as authentic. I don't really feel like I was diving into the deeper emotion. Oh, well, I know I wasn't. I wasn't really diving into too much because I didn't want to be judged. Like, I don't want to be judged for crying. You know, I don't want to be judged for, you know, whatever I was going through at the time. So I wouldn't share a lot of this stuff. But now I do. And um, this show has actually helped bring it out of me even more. And I've learned to become more and more expressive, more and more authentic, and just more verbose with information. Some people might say too much information. That's too much information. I don't want to know. But um, what I wanted to do was explore with her, you know, not in a psychoanalytical way, but just understand why she cringed. First thing I asked was, oh, is it like, you know, maybe you're peeking through the curtains of my house and watching what's going on inside? And she goes, yeah, yeah, that, it's sort of like that. And I thought that was kind of funny. And I thought that's a great analogy. So if you know me well enough and I'm sharing this in a book, it's almost like that's information I didn't ask for. Now I feel like I'm invading your space. And it's it's not the case, but What's going on, and this is what I was asking asking her, what's going on inside of you that makes you cringe? So she goes, you know, I think it's because I'm not comfortable sharing that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And so we talked about it a little bit more. And um, I said, this would be a, something great to talk about on the air. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, uh, I don't think she wants her story on the air. So I'm not, you know, saying her name or who it is or anything like that. But this concept of cringing about someone else's private life or private stories or uh, even though they're not really private, they're public now that I've made them public. Uh, but if you feel uncomfortable when someone tells you about their life, something that happened in their life, like, oh my God, I, I, I can't imagine that happening to me. And you start to feel that closed in feeling you bring your arms closer you bring your elbows closer to your chest and then you just kind of scrunch your body inward to avoid to to put up your little defenses like i don't want that in my life i wouldn't want to talk about that i think when that happens that's a perfect opportunity to look inward and figure out if that is something that hinders any type of forward progress for you or forward momentum for you because if it does if if you're afraid to express yourself about something about yourself 
then it's probably a good idea to look inward and figure out if your external world is being affected by that. In other words, if you fear sharing something about yourself and because you fear that your external world is affected, then perhaps that might be something to look at and look within, have some reflection on it, and do some healing through so that perhaps by expressing that to someone safe, someone you respect and uh, feel like you can tell things to, by sharing that, it actually gets you past something in life. For example, uh, you don't want to speak up at work because you're afraid that if you speak up, someone will see a weakness in you. You know, somebody steals pencils off your desk and you know who it is. But, um, you know, in your life, you're afraid to speak up for yourself. You're, you're afraid to honor yourself. You're afraid to tell other people your private stories because that might show them a weakness. Or at least that's what you're thinking inside. And maybe there was a time in your life where you should or could have stood up for yourself but chose not to. And then you were walked over or taken advantage of. Imagine if instead you did say, hey, Bill, you took my pencils off my desk. That's not right. You have no right to do that. I'm going to take my pencils back and I highly suggest you do not take them again. <laughs> I'm using more pleasant, non-volatile wording here because I might say, hey, what's up? <laughs> I'll take those back. Stay away from my desk, jerk. <laughs> I might not say it like that, but you get the idea. But maybe I would feel that confident to speak up because I had already addressed something in me that needed addressing and I could now speak more confidently and freely and openly about this without too much fear. Because that's what happens. That's why when um, maybe I tell a story about something and you think about it in your own life and you cringe a little bit, there's some fear there. I'm not saying you have to express this. I'm just saying to look at it. Like, what am I cringing for? What am I fearing? Why, why would I fear expressing this myself? You know, I get uh, feedback, a lot of feedback on when I tell my stories, it helps you open up in yourself and feel more um, safe to be vulnerable. If you feel safe to be vulnerable, that's strength. That's empowerment. That's when you can move forward and feel confident in what you're doing because it's no longer a hindrance. I mean, imagine that. Imagine the fears that you have that keep you from forward momentum, that keep you from progress, that keep you from uh, any type of emotional or mental evolution in your life. Imagine if those fears were gone how much further you'd get in life. Imagine being able to stand up to Bill who stole those pencils off your desk. It's probably a terrible example, but you get the idea. And imagine if you felt good being yourself. Imagine if you felt great being authentically you. Because this is really what it comes down to. I made a decision when I first started this show to be as authentic as possible. Now, the first few episodes, I couldn't follow through with that. <laughs> Believe it or not, 
now I'm being really authentic here. I could not follow through with being 100%, 100% me because I, I was still getting used to the idea of putting myself out into the world. Now, by episode 8, 9, 10, something like that, I started realizing, hey, what am I doing? I, I need to be more transparent. If I'm going to teach people to get to a more authentic place, I need to be more authentic. And that's when I started sharing some pretty deep stuff. And I realized that, wow, if I do this, I could be judged. Somebody might write to me and say, you're a bad person for doing what you did. I, I could only imagine the feedback I was going to get, the um, criticism I was going to get once I started expressing myself, what I've done in my life. I mean, I've even admitted to emotionally abusing my wife when I was married. I don't remember the first time I talked about that, probably within the year, actually, because I didn't even know I was doing that until I had some self-reflection after I started getting really deep into my studies about emotional abuse. And I go, wait, I was doing that to my wife. Judgment is emotional abuse. And I said, whoa, that's me. So I came on the air and I said, this is what I did. I mean, imagine that. Imagine you feel bad or guilty about something or ashamed of something. And you decided to post it on Facebook or come out with a podcast and say, this is what I did. I realized near the beginning of the show when I started doing that, that I would probably receive a lot of criticism. I would probably have a lot of people just turn off the podcast and go, I can't listen to this guy. He sounds like bad news. He sounds toxic. To my surprise, not a single person wrote to me and said, you're a bad person for doing that. How dare you treat someone like that? Not a single person said that. That surprised me. So I started having these realizations as I shared more and more. As I put myself out there into the world more and more. These realizations are that all of us are imperfect. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have done something stupid. <laughs> or many things stupid. All of us have mistreated someone else in some way. But how many of us will admit it and then share it with strangers? <laughs> share it with the world? I did this. So when I started saying, I did this. Two things happened. One, I started to release some repressed emotions. I started to express things that were kind of in the deep, in the emotional well, down, way down inside of me. I started to release that stuff. And as I talked about it, I felt more and more free. I felt lighter. And I was like, wow, so this helps me feel better by talking about this stuff. That's why I always talk about it's good to express these repressed emotions inside of you. It's good to express these things because it does. It makes you feel lighter, frees you. The other thing that happened was people, not only were they not criticizing me, but they started writing to me, sharing what they're going through, sharing what they've done, 
sharing their life stories. And my head exploded because <laughs> I was like, I thought I was going to receive criticism. But instead, I was able to help other people unlock their vulnerable space inside of them just by being myself, just by expressing my vulnerability. So my friend at lunch, she's like, I cringe when I read this stuff. And we got to the point where she realized, yes, that is something I need to work on in myself because I do fear people judging me. I do fear going into that space. And I do think that it might hinder me in some areas of life. And I thought, wow, that's a great observation. <laughs> that is something really good to know about yourself. Because if there's something that I talk about or that you hear someone else talk about that is very personal, very private, I'm not sharing it for shock value. I'm sharing it because I'm releasing it. Um, and some things I still need to work on. I'm not saying that I have everything figured out and I'm healed from everything, but I will talk about it. And whatever comes up while I talk about it comes up. And I told um, my friend at lunch, I said, you know, I literally put myself out there to be judged. And she's like, huh? <laughs> and I said, you know, I figured I just want to get judged right away. Get it all out of the way so that nobody can dig up stuff on me. <laughs> That's not what I said. I said that I'd rather just face the music. Because if I can face the music right away, then I don't have to hold it in. Then somebody can say, hey, you're a bad person for doing this. Then I can say, okay, bring it on, you know. Tell me how bad I am. I know that I did wrong. Uh, you know, what else you got? That's where I usually go. What else you got? Anything else you want to say? Great. Bring it on. And then after they're done, I'll say, yeah, you're right. I did things that I feel bad about. Sure. It may still be in there. What else you got? I, I hear you. Go ahead. Lay it on me. <laughs> and once they're out of steam, because they're not getting a reaction from me, it disappears. You know, that's what I like to teach is that people that want to point the finger at you and tell you how bad you are and you go, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm probably bad. What else are they going to say? Aha, <laughs> uh -huh. you, you are bad. Yeah, you're probably right. Well then, um, be good. I'm working on it. I will. I promise. Well, okay. And then they'll probably never bother you again about that. Or if they do, they, they just want to push your buttons. But Imagine if nobody could push your buttons. That's where I've gotten to. I've gotten to a good place inside where I've shared with the world so much that I've gotten all this button pushing, <laughs> a lot of it out of me. So if somebody points their finger at me and says, you're a bad person, I don't get triggered by it. I just go, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I've, I've been bad. <laughs> Imagine if you can get to that place. Yeah, I have been bad. All right, I'm working on myself. I'm always working on myself. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you is that if at any time you feel a cringe, you feel something like, uh, oh, I, I don't know if I can listen to this. It's just, it's too personal. Or there's something inside of you that uh, it feels like it's closing up, like you don't want to deal with this. It might be something you can look at and reflect upon and express to someone. Get it out of your system. Make yourself feel lighter. I figured once I put all my dirty laundry out there, then I'll feel better. 
I'm sure there's more to come, <laughs> but this is why I go there. This is why I share personal information. Not only does it lighten me and heal me and also bring up other things that I need to work on in myself, but it is my hope that it opens you up to express yourself, to find someone that you feel safe talking to and help you release what's inside of you as well. So if you cringe while listening to this show, that's a good thing. <laughs> that gives you an opportunity to go, hmm, what's going on inside of me? Let's check that out. We'll be right back after this. Today's sponsor is GetOutOfTheMess.com. Asha is a representative for Legal Shield, and her website is GetOutOfTheMess.com. And I want you to consider this. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and you're dealing with any type of um, something that you think that might turn into a legal issue or a financial issue or, you know, bill collector is going to get on your butt for some timeshare that you don't own <laughs> or uh, like my girlfriend went through she had a um, image on her website that a web developer put on there for her but the company that actually owned that image did not give that web developer permission to use it but they still went after the the owner of the website my girlfriend and they wanted seventy five hundred dollars for her to use that image she's like uh i didn't even do this yet I'm responsible for it. She called her representative at Legal Shield, and they sent them a letter. Uh, she removed the image from the site and that company never contacted her or bothered her again. And I wonder how many people think they have this kind of power behind them. In other words, if you received a letter in the mail from, I don't know, some housing association that says you owe some back bills because you didn't pay the HOA enough money. And you're like, what? I paid on time every time. What is this about? And they said, well, we don't have your records in front of us, so you'll have to prove that you paid us. You'd be like, what the? <laughs> well, if that happens, you call your representative. Your representative is an attorney that works in your state, or if you're in Canada, your province, that will walk you through what you need to do or make a phone call or send a letter or whatever they need to do for you because they represent you. And having that kind of backup, having that kind of power just so that nobody can take advantage of you, it feels really good. It, it is literally a legal insurance plan. So I want you to call Asha at 678-355-8777 and ask her if this service is right for you. She's going to tell you if it is or not. I mean, if you're in some major hairy mess <laughs> right now, or if you're in just a minor thing that could turn into a major thing, or something that you just can't stand what's happening and you need to get out of it, call her and see if this is what you need. Her name's Asha, 678-355-8777, or go to the website, getoutofthemess.com. I use it, she uses it. Several of our friends use it. It's time you check it out too. 
All right, welcome back. I'm going to read you an email from someone that I'm going to call hmm, Larry. I don't think I've ever used Larry. Larry says, I've been listening to your podcast for about a month or two, and I have to say thank you. Listening to your show has opened my eyes to a new way of thinking, and I do feel as if I've been experiencing a lot of personal growth. So again, I say thank you. You are welcome, Larry. Thank you. I met my girlfriend a few months ago, and right out of the gate, we hit it off. I feel like we're both very much in love with each other, as we both express this in what we say and do. Recently, though, I found out that she had a two-night stand with a coworker before she ever met me. I know I shouldn't be upset with her, and I'm really not. But I just cannot get this out of my mind. Any advice? Thanks, Larry. Okay, Larry, good question. Thank you for sharing. There is some missing information here, like um, you said that uh, you shouldn't be upset with her, and you're really not, but you can't get it out of your mind. I think if you were in front of me, I would ask, why? <laughs> why can't you get it out of your mind? And you might say something like, I, I just think of her with this guy, and there, there was no relationship. She just had casual sex with him. I'd be like, okay. Why is that a problem? And you might be one of those guys like, I don't know, I sort of am, <laughs> where I go, there needs to be love before this sex. There needs to be uh, someone that you can look at and look into their eyes and share romantic moments before their sex. I'm sort of like that. <laughs> I'm sort of like in that respect. Um, It would be great if there's a relationship before there's just casual sex, but that's me and my limited perspective. Yes, I'm calling my perspective limited in the sense that there are all kinds of relationships and ways to uh, connect with other people. There are people that have casual sex. There are people that pay for it. <laughs> there are people that will meet someone and have intimate sexual relations that night and think that they are in love and then the next night do it again and then find out someone's personality and go, I never want to deal with this person again. <laughs> there are all kinds of reasons that a sexual relationship can develop. So when I try on what you're saying, my first thought is, but where's the love? Where's the romance, where's whatever. Even though I could look at your situation and go, well, she's been working with him. There has been a relationship and an attraction developing. And so perhaps that was going to happen regardless. Now, what you did was call it a two-night stand. Maybe that's what she said too. It was just uh, for two nights. But she needed to go through that experience to realize, whoa, this guy isn't for me. This isn't going to be a relationship. This was just a raw attraction or something else. I'm just making an assumption here. But the question is, why does it bother you? Why is this in your mind? So like I said, maybe you're like me. Maybe you go into a space of there needs to be more than just a work relationship before that happens. And I want you to accept that just like me, <laughs> I'm putting myself in the same category. You have a limited perspective on what a relationship has to be uh, structured as. You look at a relationship and go, 
This is the structure of a relationship, and it has to look like this. Otherwise, it's wrong. Otherwise, it's unhealthy. That is our limited perspective. I'll admit it. I, I feel this way too. I, we're probably on the same page with this. <laughs> I look at a relationship at this age in my life. I'm 47, and I look at a relationship and I go, I need a relationship that contains an emotional connection as well as a physical connection, along with a mental connection and other similarities and commonalities. I need to have all of that so that when there's intimacy, when there's sex, that it all fits together. But I guarantee when I was 21, <laughs> that was not my idea of a relationship. It, it, it was, for the most part, it's what I believed I really wanted, which is true. I believed that. It was true. Yet, if I was in a situation where there wasn't an intimate connection or relationship, yet there was an opportunity to have an intimate sexual relationship with someone that there wasn't an emotional connection to, yet my body was all activated, engaged, and ready to go, and my hardwiring was programmed to be very attracted to another person, would I stop myself? Would I think about it 10 years later and go, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I went after that girl when I wasn't in love with her. Probably not. I think at 21, I'd be like, <laughs> I'm all about it. I could probably look back at that now and go, well, you know, I was pretty insecure at 21. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have done that. And, and many opportunities that I could have taken that I didn't because I was, a, I was so insecure. Because I believed that you need love and, and romance and all this other stuff before that ever happens. But my thoughts were much different than my behavior. And the only reason I'm saying this is because I think I'm going to make a, a broad assumption that many of us, many people listening to this show and, and myself included, were hardwired to be attracted to and even have sexual relations with other people. It's people that we don't know, people that we have no connection with whatsoever. We're in the supermarket and we go, wow, that's nice. This kind of highlights the shallowness of some of us. Most people say, yeah, that's men <laughs> and uh, some women, but it, we're hardwired to be attracted. I mean, have you ever seen a peacock pull out all its colors on its feathers I'm going to attract a mate, so I'm going to show you all my colors. Hey, there's a potential mate. Let's get it on. <laughs> and then they do. It's very animalistic. It's very raw. And it's hardwired into us. What we've done, though, on this planet, in our societies, is create morals and ethics and structure and rules and mannerisms and even... Uh, sanctity in relationships, a place where you can feel safe and monogamous. And then we precipitated that over the years, over the many millennia, that uh, when you find someone, you get together, then you stay with them. I mean, that's kind of the rule set that we've created in many cultures, not all of them, but many cultures. So we have these beliefs in us that we carry with us. And my limited viewpoint, just as maybe yours, 
is that we see a relationship has a certain structure, a certain set of variables in order to be defined as healthy. And I'm saying that that's limited. There are people that do uh, polyamory. There are people that um, are married to many other people. Now, hopefully they're honest and they're not cheating. They're just being honest saying, hey, I want you and I want this other person. I mean, this is a whole nother subject for a whole nother show. But the idea is that we need to look inward and understand that we have a certain idea of what's right. And our perspective is very limited because we've built it out of the foundation that we've carried with us and created a structure around that and said, this is what's right. This is what's healthy. This is what I'll accept and be non-judgmental about. Because if it's outside that structure, then I'm being judgmental in some way. So there's the major portion of that is that you look at something that she did and it's outside your structure of acceptability, of healthy, of, I don't know, non-toxic behavior. It's outside of that structure. So let me ask you this question. If you were single and you worked with someone and every time you saw this person, you were highly attracted to them and blood rushed to different parts of your body and it was just a thrill to be near them. And suddenly you're out one night and you see them and you get to talking and then there's an opportunity to be closer. You go with each other to one of your houses or the idea of a hotel room comes up. Let me ask you, are you going to say, no, no, no. I believe in romance. I believe in that you should get to know someone first. I believe in all of this. I want you to be honest. You may say, oh, absolutely. I am of highly religious value and I will not explore that whatsoever. And you've worked with this person and you've gotten to know them. And you've gotten to trust them for months. And then suddenly you're in a situation where you're alone with them. And there's an opportunity. Let me tell you this. This very similar thing happened to me. But I was married. I was not single. And uh, there's a girl that I worked with. And I thought she was very attractive. And she, I don't know where she, I think I quit where I was working. And then I saw her at an event somewhere. And she had a hotel room. And we went back to her hotel room to talk. We were good friends. Nothing had ever happened between us. It was never a physical thing. It was always just, hey, it's good to see you. But when I was in her hotel room, I started feeling (laughs) a little strange. I started feeling uh, a lot attracted. And I didn't like it. I mean, I liked it, but I didn't like it because I was married. I don't want to feel this way when I'm married. I don't want to have these feelings or these thoughts. And we were just talking and laughing and everything was fine. And I don't know what was on her mind, but suddenly I knew it was on my mind and I had to go. I said, I got to go. She's like, what do you mean you got to go? I said, I got to go. <laughs> this, this is, uh, this, I just have to go. I'm so sorry. I got to run. And she's like, where are you going? And uh, I left. 
And since then, I never talked to her again because I felt that that attraction that I, quote, shouldn't have had because I was married. I thought I was a moral guy, and I was. I left. But that didn't stop the attraction. That didn't stop the blood from flowing through my body. That didn't stop the hardwiring, the way I was built. It's just what happens. Humans are attracted to other humans. There's an animal instinct. And some people are attracted to other people more than others. So there's this is going to happen. And it takes sometimes very strong willpower to get yourself out of that situation. And for me, I knew this was a bad thing. <laughs> I knew this was a bad idea. And I got out of it and never went back and got myself in any type of situation like that again when there was any type of attraction involved because I knew it would be bad news. But again, I was married. Now, was your girlfriend in a relationship? Because if she wasn't, that attraction, what, what stops you from going forward with that type of attraction when the opportunity presents itself? For me, it was clear. I'm married. I shouldn't be in this situation. For your girlfriend, I'm sure she wasn't thinking ahead going, hmm, I might have a boyfriend someday that really disagrees with what I'm about to do, so I better not do it. That kind of thing probably doesn't cross anyone's mind. Secondly, when you're in that situation, the way I presented it to you, you know, you, you're with someone, a coworker, and uh, the opportunity presents itself and you're very attracted to this coworker, would you stop? You know, you're single, the opportunity's there, the attraction is inevitable, unstoppable. Oh, no, no, no. One day I'm going to look back at this and regret this, so I'm not going to do it. That kind of thought process is hard to stop, especially when you're single. When you're not single, then other thoughts can come up and stop that situation from happening. But when you're single, the thought of why not <laughs> might come up. And of course, it can also happen when you're not single. Again, that's another episode for another situation, unless that's what you're talking about here. If she was in a relationship at the time she did this, then I might understand some trepidation that you have. Because then you can say, wow, if she did it while she was in that relationship, what if she does it when she's in this relationship with me? That wouldn't feel very good. That's a, a different set of variables. But what I'm reading from your letter is that maybe there's some thought that she was bad or wrong, or maybe there's some uh, jealousy in there. Does she work, still work with this coworker? Do they get along great? Do they still meet <laughs> for dinner? For you know, do they still go out to lunch? Is there still a connection there, or is she like, oh God, you know, I don't want to think about that. That was something. That was a big mistake. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Where is she at today with it? Or she say, oh, I want to invite him over. He's one of my best friends. And yeah, we did that. But, you know, we don't really talk about that. You know, it depends on where she is with it that will make you nervous or not. If they rarely speak, then I want you to look inside and understand that your limited perspective of what a relationship is uh, might be causing the problem here and uh, not necessarily her doing something wrong or immoral, uh, because it's just the way you've created uh, your ideal relationship. So your question about uh, any advice about getting this out of my mind, 
is I would look at it as, does she want to be with you? Probably yes, because it sounds like, like you said, you're both in love and you really love each other. Be thankful that she got that coworker out of the way, (laughs) if you know what I mean, because imagine if she had never been intimate with that coworker and it was always alluring. It was always there. Even when you're together, I wonder what it would be like with that coworker. Imagine if that was still there. You don't want that. Be thankful she got that out of the way. It's done. It's before you. Great. She hadn't even met you. She didn't know about the relationship she was going to have with you. She learned her lesson so she could move on and realize what's good for her. It sounds like she knows what's good for her. That's why she's with you. So there's a couple things you can look at and go, wow, okay, you're right. She's, she already knows that she doesn't want that. Otherwise, she'd be with that person. Great. And I just realized I'm assuming that her coworker was a man. I, I, I might be wrong. <laughs> if her coworker was a woman and she had a relationship, I mean, it doesn't matter anything I've said, but I just wanted to kind of clear that up that um, I made an assumption that may or may not be true. But regardless of if the person was male or female, it doesn't matter. Just replace the word he with she if that's the case. And finally, when you think about that situation, put yourself in her shoes. Again, I'm assuming she was single. So if you were single, and you had nothing else going on, there were no prospects, and you were highly attracted to a coworker that you've been getting to know and seems like a great person and you were definitely attracted, would you yourself be averse to a situation that arose that gave you the opportunity to explore that person, (laughs) explore that situation, have a one, two, or three night stand, or whatever it is. My instinct is that you would probably do the same thing, and maybe, just maybe, that there were times in your life that you wish you did, so you carried a belief system with you that maybe it wasn't a good idea to do that, or it was wrong, or unhealthy, or whatever. Maybe there's uh, something in you that prevented you from doing something like that in your past. I don't know. Like I said, when I try this on, I think about my past and how insecure I was and how there were situations that maybe could have gone differently had I just felt secure enough to follow through with them. Would my life had turned out any differently? Maybe. Would that have turned me into a sex machine monster? (laughs) Hopefully not. Maybe. I don't know. Would I have all these experiences that I can look back upon and go, hmm, I liked that, liked that, didn't like that, didn't like that. And now I know I'm very clear who I want in my life. I mean, that's one thing experience with other people can do for you is that it's a process of elimination. I'm not endorsing or promoting sexual promiscuity. I'm just saying that when you've had the experience with other people in all kinds of relationships, whether it's a long romantic relationship or a short one-night stand, you get the idea of what you really want in life. And that can be helpful. So I'm going to go with my instinct that tells me that you, Larry, have had opportunities in the past or wish you had opportunities in the past where you may have been in a situation like this that you couldn't or wouldn't or thought you shouldn't follow through on. And that denying your own hardwiring and your own raw animalistic attraction to someone else 
caused a bit of repressed, I don't know, anger in you or uh, somehow made you feel like um, if I can't have it, no one else can or something. It's hard to say. And I'm saying a lot on a, uh, based on a little information that you gave me because I would still ask you the question of why does it bother you so much? You say you're not upset, but usually when something is in your mind and you can't get it out, there's something about that that's in there that upsets you. It's usually negative. I can't get it out of my mind. It's usually negative. Sometimes it can be positive, I guess, in the sense that uh, you could look back and go, wow, she's so lucky. <laughs> I don't know if it's that way for you. I'm getting the message that this is a negative thing for you. So do what you will with my opinions, my thoughts. I don't know if it really uh, solves the problem for you or getting it out of your mind, but I want you to be very present going forward because keeping your eyes on the rear view mirror will cause you to bring what you're thinking about and obsessed about into your relationship today. That is so vital. If you keep your eyes on the rearview mirror and think about that one incident that she had that had nothing to do with you, but there's a small judgment in there from you, then that's going to be in your relationship. It's going to show up in different ways. You're going to be suspect. You know, you're, you're going to have these little judgments. Any little lashing out could have something to do with something that happened to her a long time ago, and she's not even going to know why you're upset. So you focus on what do you have today? Because if you think a week from now that the world's going to end, I like to use this, use this analogy every now and then, if you think about the world ending in one week, is it better to look in the rearview mirror and go, oh, I'm still thinking about that incident and it bothers me today, or can you look at today and go, wow, of all the people that she's ever, ever been with and seen in her life, she is choosing to walk her path with me right by her side. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty special. Wow, that feels good. I need to continue focusing on who she is choosing to be with today. Who she is, I don't know, you could look at it as a sacrifice of her time to be with me because it's an investment into what fulfills her. She is willing to invest her time with me. She could be doing anything else in the entire world and be with anyone else. And she's choosing me in this moment. You know what I do with that? I would hang on to it with every fiber of my being and be so grateful for what I have right in front of me and put all my energy into that. And pretend the glue of that rear view mirror finally disintegrated and fell off your windshield. Because there's no need to look back anymore. Just look forward. Just look at the now. Just look at the present so that your future is a lot better than the past that you keep painting over and over again in your mind. Thank you for writing. I hope this helps. If there's still any residue in there from the past, it is a practice. It is something that you do have to keep focusing on. Focusing on the person you're with and remembering that she could be with anyone else, but she, she doesn't want to be. She wants to be with you. And uh, last but not least, and I've talked about this in the jealousy episode, if you believe that for any reason her coworker might have been better than me, 
then I want you to work at being the best damn person in every way you can be for her. You know what I mean. <laughs> you really focus on what she wants and what satisfies her. There'll be nothing that ever compares again. Take that with you. Thanks for writing, Larry. I appreciate you. We'll be right back and say our goodbyes right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Asha with Get Out of the Mess. She is a great person to talk to when you have questions if um, a legal service like uh, Legal Shield is right for you. Go to getoutofthemess.com or call her at 678-355-8777. One thing I really appreciate that she does is that she just lets you know if it's something that will work for you. So just ask her. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, go to getoutofthemess.com or call 678-355-8777. And I want to tell you about the Overwhelmed Brain book. It's called The Overwhelmed Brain, Personal Growth for Critical Thinkers. But it's much more than that. It's a journey into your emotional intelligence. It's a path for you to become empowered. That's what I want for you. I want you to become empowered. And if you want the A to Z of self-empowerment, that's how you do it. Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and get the Overwhelmed Brain book today. And I want to thank the members of the TOB Patron Program. If you're a patron member, you are supporting the show, even though you're getting all the goodies too, like uh, extra episodes and worksheets and video training. And I just came out with uh, an emergency anxiety episode. So I've uploaded that to the uh, patron membership site, and I'm waiting for feedback from them to find out just how effective it is to uh, diminish or even dissolve anxiety. Now, patron members, if you're listening, <laughs> I told you, only use that episode while you're starting to get anxiety. Because if you listen to it any other time when you're feeling okay or there's no anxiety there, it's not going to have the same effect. But I still want your feedback. So, patron members, when you use the emergency anxiety episode, give me your feedback. I want to know how it works so I can tweak it and fine-tune it until it is so perfect for you that your anxiety just melts away like uh, snow on a frying pan. All right, there's your mission, patron members. And if you want to join the patron program, you can go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. It's a small way to give back to the show, and you get all the extra stuff that I was just talking about. And I also want to thank those of you using the Amazon link. If you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, that's another way to give back and support the show. Not that it's your job to support this show, but if you want to give back, you certainly can just by using the Amazon link at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Every time you purchase something from Amazon, Amazon sends us a few pennies on the dollar. It's very helpful, and it's a nice way to say thank you for the show. And finally, I want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. In closing, I'm going to talk a little about uh, rapport, building rapport. You know, when I went through my NLP training, my hypnosis training, they talked about this is how you build rapport. And they would give us very specific, practical steps to take to uh, get someone um, to like you. 
or to get them to feel comfortable with you. And um, as they were going through these steps, I was thinking, you know, I think I do this automatically. I think I automatic. I think I've been doing this since I was a child. The steps they were showing me, and um, it's because the the things that they talked about, which I'll kind of describe in a moment, is what I had to do naturally to fit in with people and make them like me. I hate to say it, but when I was a child, I had to learn. I I really believed I had to learn how to get people to like me. So I would alter my behavior and watch their behavior as they responded to my behavior. And I learned a lot. And it became a very unconscious process that um, if any of you are listening, wherever people pleasers, you are probably doing this too, automatically. If you were ever in a place where you feared one of your caretakers or parents, and you altered your behavior so that it wouldn't invoke their bad behavior, then you're probably very good at automatically gaining rapport with someone else. If you didn't grow up like that, then let me give you some pointers that will help you gain rapport. Now, first of all, why do you want to gain rapport? Gaining rapport is very helpful when you're in situations to um, uh, help you feel comfortable with other people and help them feel comfortable with you. Again, if you don't have this problem, then I wouldn't worry about it. (laughs) You don't have to do these extra steps. But if you do have an issue trying to build any type of comfort level around other people, there's some practical things you can do. Now, the way it was explained to me is that when I sort of mimic someone else's behavior, then that is a way to show that you are like them. And when they sense that unconsciously, they will like you. So I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Have I been doing that all along? And it turns out, yes, I have been uh, ever since childhood. And let me just define rapport before I go on. Rapport is sort of like, and this is my own definition, is sort of like, have you ever seen an orchestra where they're tuning their instruments before they start playing? When somebody gets their instrument in perfect tune, then some of the uh, players around them will tune their instrument to the instrument that's already in perfect tune. So they might say something like, hey, give me an open A. And then the guitarist will pluck the open A string on his guitar or her guitar and you'll hear the boom. I don't think that's an A, but we'll just pretend it is. And then they will tune their A string and try to match it. Well, they will match it. And when they match it, there is a resonance frequency and the, the, the sound of the frequency gets louder. So you hear one side boom and then you hear the other side boom and then we're there together, they, the sound is amplified and you can actually feel the vibration. It's a strange thing that happens, but you'll hear the wavering of the frequency like as they're tuning. And then when they're in perfect tune, there's no wavering. I know that I'm missing some science here, but just bear with me. <laughs> but the idea is that when the instruments are in tune with one another, 
there's that amplified frequency that uh, really has a lot of depth and you can tell they match. They're like mirroring each other. And that's another thing that we're taught is matching and mirroring. When you match someone else's um, uh, voice, their tonality. For example, if you're talking to a, hey, this is Paul Coliani with the overwhelmed brain and I'm happy to be here and I'm really fast talking. And you came up to me and said, hey, Paul, it's great to meet you. Hey, why don't we go out and get some iced tea? <laughs> I might be more prone to uh, like you because I would go, wow, that person is like me. And then there's the concept of mirrorings, the mannerisms and uh, body language of the person. So you might mirror back when I use my hands to talk, you'll use your hands to talk. And um, the whole idea is that what you're doing is altering your behavior to be more like their behavior. Now, there's a drawback here because if you choose to do this with people more often than not, then you tend to, I don't know, sacrifice some of your own personality. I mean, that's a strong word and I don't really mean sacrifice. I just mean you're not showing up as authentically you. You're trying to be more like them. So I would say use this kind of rapport building technique with care because I don't want you to lose you in the process. I think it's a neat tool to use, but at the same time, I want you to show up as authentically you as well. So with the matching, for example, uh, somebody might have uh, a low, more steady tone of voice and less inflection, sort of like the way I'm talking now. And if somebody came up to me and said, hey, Paul, how's it going? Great to see you. Let's go get some iced tea. I might be more prone to appreciate that sort of energy. It's like the two frequencies that match on the two music instruments that amplify each other. That's the wonderful thing about rapport is that you can actually amplify something good between two or more people when you have that rapport. So there's uh, a couple ways to do it. And there's also uh, the use of somebody else's wording, their language, the words they use. For example, if someone is speaking in a lot of uh, colorful visual wording and they say things like, I see what you're saying. That's a bright idea. Or I can visualize what you're saying. I can imagine that. Those are a lot of visual words that have to do with your visual senses, using your eyes. Or if they are using a lot of auditory words like, that rings a bell. I hear what you're saying. That sounds right to me. I mean, these are words that we all use uh, in everyday conversations, but we never think about it. We're usually very involved unconsciously in the conversation, but we hear these words come through but if you start to observe and recognize these words, you can also use them in your conversation. They say, oh, I can hear what you're saying. And you can respond in the same way, in an auditory fashion. That sounds good to you. Do you hear that? <laughs> and then there's the uh, kinesthetic words. Like, oh, I grasp what you're talking about. I can get a handle on that. That feels right to me. Those are all the kinesthetic feeling words. And these are just patterns that you're looking for in people. So that when and if you need to build rapport with someone, maybe because they're a stranger to you and you're nervous to be around them or they're nervous to be around you or you just want to build some sort of closer bond with someone because when you build rapport, it actually does lead to 
a little bit of closer bonding with people. They feel more comfortable with you. You feel more comfortable with them. Then you can bring out those words. You can match their tone of voice, their tempo of voice. Like if they talk like this, then you can talk like this. But if they talk like this, you could talk like this. But maybe they just want to talk like this. And you come on the scene and you go, hey, I want to talk like that too. <laughs> There's a whole, um, we could spend a whole day on rapport. I could teach you a billion things about it. A, because I, I learned it naturally when I was younger. Uh, and B, because there's a lot more to study about it. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with nonverbal body language and verbally as well. But it's, it's just something that you practice and be acutely aware of someone else. And it's hard to jump out of your unconscious conversation to go, oh, they're using these words. Oh, they're using their hands in this particular way. Oh, they're inflecting on that word or on that kind of sentence. Oh, you know, you have all these observations, but you have to step out of being so in-depth unconsciously that you have trouble turning on that awareness. And of course, the big question I usually get is, won't people see that I'm actually mimicking them? Won't they be able to tell? Typically, 99% of the time, not, because they're deeply involved unconsciously. They're not aware of what you're doing, but you turn on your awareness of what they're doing and do similar things. And of course, you have to make what you do to, hate to use this word, mimic them, but in ways mimicking them, you have to make it just subtle. You just make it subtle. If you're overt, then they might go, why are you saying it exactly the way I said it? And it sounds like you're repeating me. When it's overt like that, they might figure it out. But even then, I mean, I've been overtly mimicking someone and they still, <laughs> they still don't see it. I don't do that as a matter of practice. Like I said, it's more natural to me, but I have done it to experiment, to understand it, to build rapport with people that I didn't have any rapport with. And yes, it does work. Does it work with everyone all the time? No, but it does work most of the time. Now, the final thing is, why would you want to do this? It sounds a little sneaky. It sounds a little like you're trying to manipulate or influence. And yes, people can use this to influence you. I don't teach you these little things. And like I said, there's a lot more that goes along with this, but this is just a quickie. <laughs> I don't teach you these things to use them unethically. I teach you so that you know what's happening so that you know what you're communicating. Because the opposite of rapport is just as important to know. If you're talking with somebody who talks really fast and you come in and go, hey, how's it going? And they're talking really fast and I want to get to know you and I want to tell you all about this. And you're like, oh, okay, well, um, um, slow down, slow down. There might be an opposition in your rapport, in your personalities and in, in the way you communicate with each other. And you may not appreciate the other person just like they may not appreciate you. And you may wonder why someone doesn't like you. Why doesn't anyone like me? <laughs> uh, of course I like you. I, I think you're a fine person. Uh, I got to go now because, uh, you know, it's two o'clock and I got to go pick up my kid in four hours. Yeah, but it's only two o'clock. Yeah, I, I, I got to take care of things. I mean, that's a blatant example. You can just tell there's a difference in personality there and mannerisms and things like that. But the whole point is that when you find yourself in opposition 
or not in rapport with someone, it is possible that you are just on two different wavelengths, you are tuned to different frequencies, and they're on their own, you're on your own, and if you don't care about meeting in the middle, then don't practice rapport. (laughs) And this is something handy to know. If you're in rapport with someone that you don't want to be in rapport with, change yourself. (laughs) Change your behavior. Change how you speak. It weans someone off of you. I mean, it can. In the sense that you start talking really fast and they're a slow talker, or you use a high voice and they use a low voice, or they're using words that uh, stimulate their brain visually and you're using words that stimulate the auditory senses in you, so on and so on. There's all kinds of ways to be opposite in your rapport too, and there are times when it's handy. For example, have you ever seen two people talking and uh, one of them seems a little less interested in the conversation than the other person? Look at the less interested person and see where their feet are pointing. Often, one or both feet are pointing away from the person they're talking to as if they are getting ready to get out of there. (laughs) Not always, but that's like one thing you can look at. Or they're just looking around the room, really not looking at the person they're talking to. Geez, you know, it reminds me of my, um, when I was younger, my sister's boyfriend. and He would talk my ear off and I did not want to talk to him at all. And I showed every sign of opposite rapport that I believed would work with anyone else that actually cared about what I thought and what I said. But it didn't work for him. He just liked hearing his own voice and he kept talking and talking and talking. And I finally said, I got to go to bed. I can't, I can't handle this anymore. You know, there's only a certain point that you can push me where my boundaries are going to kick in and go, I can't take this anymore. I got to go. So that just reminded me of that. Anyway, use this information morally, ethically, practice it with um, people you love, practice it with people you'd hate. <laughs> Practice it with family uh, just to know yourself better, just to know behavior better. I tell you what, when I first started learning why we do the things we do, how we behave, why we behave the way we do, why we say the things we do, why we get into relationships the way we do, all of this is tied in together. All of it. If you're at a bar and somebody comes up and they start talking to you and you feel really comfortable with them, It's good to know what's happening. So I teach you these things because I want you to know what's happening. And if you're in the patron program, this is in one of the worksheets called uh, 20 Life-Changing Principles to Powerful Communication. So you can check that out if you're a patron member. Otherwise, stay observant, stay aware, be conscious when you normally go unconscious so that you can stay present. I mean, there's an advantage to staying present, and that's one of them is to know what's happening during your communication. Know what's happening inside of you. So how do you stay conscious? How do you stay present? How do you stay aware? You open your mind and you step into your power. And I want you to be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing.